if All you right. can guarantee that Waffle's going to be cool. I not. cannot guarantee that Waffle's going to be cool. In <laughs> fact, he is almost face. certainly going to attack your book <laughs> and your water bottle. Water bottle? Yeah. Water bottle. Well, I have two th- I have two pieces of business at the top. <laughs> that generally startled me. There's a cat attacking your book. <laughs> I apologize, but like I said, I cannot guarantee that it's not going to happen. Maybe I just need to replace all my post-it notes with cat-themed post-it notes. Hmm. I have some cat-themed post-it notes, as I mentioned earlier. Uh he probably attacked those too. Right now I'm distracting him by allowing him to lick my fingers. All right, one piece of business is I said at the end of the last episode that we would be reading through page 700, 759. And in fact, we have read one Infinite Summer reading segment, not two. And so we, we have read to page 727 important well it's you know piece of business. Pr- important piece of business so if if you're reading along you're ahead of us if you followed my instructions no last week spoilers. no spoilers <laughs> so don't write in with spoilers don't send a letter yeah please send do not send email to podcast at terrible photos of people i love dot com with spoilers for next week we'll figure out at the end of the episode where we're we reading to email that says dennis <laughs> Dennis. Like, oh no, not Dennis. <laughs> All right. Come All right. on. Let's add another cat. Let's make this. Okay. There are two cats on the table now. Uh, I also have a present for you from New York City. <laughs> Wait. I was in New York City? New York City. I was in New York City last weekend. Uh, and while I was in Times, I did not go to the famous Strand bookstore. But I did go to the Strand Bookstore kiosk in Times Square. <laughs> I was buying some postcards, and as I was checking out, I noticed that they had these. Ah, hmm. oh, I I will shall wear this with pride. What it, What is it, Kate? It's a David Foster Wallace pin. Yeah, DFW. DFW. Those of you in the know. Yeah, I had to. I had to ask. I was like, "Is that a DFW pin?" Did you say so, that? Yeah, uh, I think I said, "Is, it, is that David Foster Wallace?" Okay. <laughs> and they said yes. Cool. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. From New York City. Uh, New York City. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> so, how'd you like this week, Kate? It's a pretty short week. Uh, it was very easy to read. Good. A lot happened. I felt we learned some. Useful bits of information. Mm -hmm. A lot of plot. Love to make it satisfying. Yeah. Awesome. And the Chicago Teachers Union strike is over. So I can start reading. You can start reading again. (laughs) 11 days. 11 days of striking. Yep. Yep. Oh, should I just leap in? What did we learn? Where did we start here? We started with Hal post-game... Post his surprise game against what's his pants. Right. uh, Went and talked to, he wanted to go talk to Stice, Coach Stice, but instead talked to Coach DeLint and was unsatisfied with that conversation and then went to a viewing room to watch some of his father's cartridges and was joined by a bunch of other, I think mostly or all female tennis teens. 
Oh, I think that happens in a later section. But so, yeah, he, he watches one in this first little section. He watches one called Wave Bye-Bye to the Bureaucrat. Do you remember? Do you, did you like Wave Bye-Bye to the Bureaucrat? You like the cinematic stuff. So this was a pretty... I'm completely blinking on what that was. It was a, it was a, a, a film where... A cartridge. Where a bureaucrat is late every day and he's given an ultimatum. Oh, yeah. And then there's an extended slapstick sequence where he runs into a kid and has to decide whether to get on the train to go to work and save his job. You thought it was slapstick? I didn't think it was, but... Well, he runs into a kid. I guess, okay. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe that's not a great description of it. Well, I guess it's how you interpret it. So it could be slapstick for you and something else for me. But yeah, it was like a cliche, like, little kid, lots of packages. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he loses his job because he chose to be nice. Yes. Like overly hit you over the head. Mm-hmm. That's it. What are we supposed to like? Uh, well, I guess this applies to the next movie he watches. Mm. Question. Mm. My question is about the next movie. All right. So the other big person we're following in this section is poor Tony Krause, who is post seizure. So post game and then post seizure. He's uh, he checks himself out of the hospital because he feels great post seizure, um, and he passes by. We have a number of in this section, sort of these cinematic moments that we've been seeing, like like when the piece of gravel hit the door of the store. Right. So we had just been with in the in our last week, we had been with Matt Pemulus in a restaurant, and so in this one, he poor Tony Krause walks by that restaurant and there's a, a moment where he could have been seen by Matt Pemulus but isn't. Right. And it's said that Matt Pemulus would have helped him out but doesn't. And then he starts following two women who are carrying purses or wear, wearing purses. And then there's a bunch and then Jeffrey Day talks about penis names in the recovery house. You're just shaking your head. Well, <laughs> to what like uh, yeah. he's just Dum dum, dum dum. Kate, and now this one maybe has some okay, meat on it. Okay, what page are you on? I'm on page. That's on page six ninety two. I feel like I have marks here. Okay. So then, Kate Gompert is is talking about, or not? She's she's thinking about depression, and she thinks about um, anhedonia depression, which is just where you don't ex- so kind of don't experience anything. Don't experience any pleasure, mm-hmm. but it's not an act. But and then contrast that. There's a bunch of we sort of point of view shift to James in Condenza, and then we point of view shift to and that it's Hal's thesis that his father was experiencing and Hedonia, and the narrator says he was not. It was something else, but doesn't say what the else is. And then we talk about the wait. I'm confused. Could you go back a little bit? Sure. That part that you just said, what was that again? That he has, it switched from... So, yeah, it starts, this section on page, I'm pretty sure it's 692, mm-hmm. starts with Kate Gompert and depression and talking about, introduces the idea of low-grade depression, sometimes called anhedonia or simple melancholy. And it says that's... Kate thinks about that because it's not what she not what she has, and then it 
in the middle of page 693, it says, It's worth noting that among younger ETAs, the standard take on Dr. J.O. Incandenza's suicide attributes his putting his head in the microwave to this kind of anhedonia. Mm-hmm. And then it says somewhere in here, that's not why he killed himself. <laughs> oh, okay. And then, um, or maybe it's even a footnote, an endnote or something. And then it's... Then I it just t- wanted to say that I yeah. like this part right here. The way they were talking about gauging your whole worth by their place in the ordinal ordinal ranking mm-hmm. use the idea that achieving their goals and finding the nine sense of worthlessness still there in their own gut as a kind of psychic movie. i don't know it just seemed like a nice description of that yeah yeah it echoes with it's the stuff delint was talking to steeply about last week about the kids learning that fame is yeah like not chasing fame to chase not to chase fame and not even to chase winning like because it'll crush you if that's what you're chasing and you'll never be the number one yeah so yeah that's some good stuff and then it goes to hal um oh here's where it is hal though he has no idea yet of why his father really put his head in the microwave um is pretty sure it wasn't because of standard anhedonia okay so but so it never answers for us why he did commit suicide. It just says that I that marked, wasn't it. I marked this part because let me find it. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I was, reading this this whole, I was reading this whole paragraph and the thing I wanted was right here. The reason why I marked it was because he gave a definition, an explanation of the word that he used. Oh. Which never happens. That never happens. <laughs> that was my, oh. Oh, uh, Welchmertz, yes. which means world weariness or hip ennui. That's that's unusual. Noteworthy. Noteworthy. Is it noteworthy? Yeah. I th- There's kind of a little bomb dropped here that that Hal Incandenza is empty inside. And it, it says here, um, oh. and he can manipulate them well enough to satisfy everyone but himself that he's in there inside his own hull as a human being. But in fact, he's far more robotic than Jane, than John Wayne, the, the child tennis player, John Wayne in this book, not the Western actor. So that's kind of a, you know, and this makes Sal feel the one thing he feels to limit lately. He is lonely. Yeah. So that's kind of a bomb. I feel like, Is it? I feel like, because I mean, we know that he's got to be suffering from the death of his father. He just doesn't realize it. Okay. Right? Yeah, it just felt like, I don't know, I guess it felt, we're on page 694. We've been living with Hal for almost 700 pages um, to sort of be like, oh, yeah, he's super, he's super empty inside. And I've been like, well, we've been, we've been with him. Like, we haven't seen him, I guess, I think we, I feel like we've seen him upset about things. We've seen him, you know, have feelings and to now tell us that he's robotic. Well, wait a second. We're, we're, we're viewing this through his perspective. It's not like the outside narrator's perspective. Okay. So is it Hal himself in his own perspective thinking that he's more robotic? Let me read it. (laughs) Yeah, it's this first person inside his own hull as a human being. Yeah, I guess that's one of the things that I guess, you know, I've complained about this before is sort of bugs me about the way this book is written is there is this there are these subtle shifts 
that are in third person, but they sh- do shift to be from a character's point of view. And, and and there's another one coming up in another couple of pages that, you know, really makes that stark where it's, it's very subtle. And so I guess that rewards, rewards the careful reader, but it's also so subtle that I feel like it's the sort of thing where, where you, most readers are used to third person narration. A third person narrator is sort of, is, either objective or is from for a book is from a single point of view you know some books are written with like a conceit that it's a you know a, a journalist writing this or the, the sort of found i found these notebooks and i'm mm-hmm. going to put this together or whatever and so when it keeps shifting around just very subtly it's very easy to to ascribe these things to an omniscient third person narrator not this sort of it's a sort of over the shoulder third person narrator Sort of like when he's over Hal's shoulder is giving us, it's still in third person, but is giving us Hal's mm-hmm. inner perspective. So, so I guess maybe my complaint is it's too subtle for me that I keep taking these things at their word, right? Hal is, you know, the simple sentence, but in fact, he's far more robotic than John Wayne. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a fact. When I guess I meant, maybe I'm meant to take that as, no, that's, that's what Hal thinks about I mean, himself. Right. It's super which subtle, isn't. but like it careful reading. Mm-hmm. The careful reader. And I'm not even saying I was. I was just like reading it right now. But yeah, I, I do yeah, I think it's just Hal having his own revelation about mm. something that he should be having, I guess. Okay. Mm. Okay. 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 So then we shift back to Kate Gompert and talk about her clinical depression or uh, unipolar dysphoria or psychotic depression, all these words for the same sort of thing, and gives a very vivid, and she, which she calls it. Uh, but Kate Gomper, down in the trenches with the thing itself, knows it is simply it. And it yeah, is a very is- vivid description of, like, of, a, of hardcore depression. I thought it was really good. Yeah, so you like that? You like that description? Yeah, I thought it was really good. It puts it very nicely. Yeah, it's a real like what's the word I want? Extreme description of of what it could be like to be depressed. But it's super easy to understand, you know, like that extreme example. Mm-hmm. But like everyone could understand that, you know, it's such a base emotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of works. Of, I mean, it's. I've read lots of people try to describe, you know, their depression on on the Twitters and things. Well, this isn't depression. This is suicide, right? Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, he's, he, the the narrator, who I guess we can't, in this section, is it over Kate's shoulder, um, is sort of saying there's just two kinds of depression. There's sort of this, you know, what what the narrator calls low-grade depression, anhedonia, just absence of pleasure, and then lumps all these kinds of the clinical depression and psychotic depression all into one big thing and saying this is what it is is this just like feeling of you know just incredible pain and discomfort psychic pain oh i guess i highlighted the part where i don't think we were talking about the same thing uh the person tries to kill them when a person tries to kill themselves it's not out of hopelessness Mm. 
And then she uses this metaphor of jumping out of a building. And then the difference between jumping out of a building and jumping out of a building because there's flames behind you. Mm -hmm. And from the ground, you'd be like, why would you, you know, but the the fear of falling becomes the less terror. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm looking at like on 695, this whole description of the it yeah. Where it starts like, it is a level of psychic pain, wholly incompatible with human life as we know it. It is a sense of radical and thoroughgoing evil, not just as a feature, but as an essence of conscious existence. It is a sense of poisoning that pervades the self at the self's most elementary levels. It goes on like that for another half a page. I did not highlight that part. Mm. <laughs> I was not impressed by that. But oh, you were not impressed? Okay. No, no. Okay. Just the part about the suicide. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, well, like it's a little strong. But I don't know. I've never been depressed in that way. I mean, I think I've been little de-depressed, but not, I mean, I've certainly never felt like, like it is also lonely on a level that cannot be conveyed. Maybe, and so that's, is, you know, maybe this is one where I just need to, yeah, I'm sort of reserving my, like, reserving my criticism because I don't know. And so maybe this is, maybe this is an amazing description of that kind of depression. But I don't think you have to know this kind of depression to understand this explanation. But That's what I was saying. Like, and you were pointing at the explanation about killing yourself. Yes. Yeah. No, oh, I agree with that. Oh, it's, you're talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about the level of the level the heightened description of what that kind of depression is like. We're, we keep talking about okay, let's just move on. Let's we move keep on. talking about two different things. I think yeah, we're talking about two different things. <laughs> then we meet meet Ruth Van Cleve. She's in her third day. In uh, Annette House. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't Me. know if we've met her before or not. I didn't, and I didn't look it up. Quite possible. Um, and she's out for a walk with psychotically depressed Kate Gombert. That's the the, expre- the thing it says right there. They're trying to make it home for curfew, and uh, Ruth is talking a lot, and then they're being stalked by poor Tony Krause. And then there's a bunch of just single paragraphs. There's um, Jim. Well, we check in with all our storylines. Kind of check in, yeah, with a bunch of stuff. We check in with Jim Trolls, uh, who's about to put in a cartridge, and we always, I guess, at this point, we start to get nervous anytime somebody puts in a puts in a cartridge, and we cut away from them that it might be the entertainment. I don't oh, know. I, I, I wasn't. Mm. I've been nervous about that for I think the last hundred pages, or just like wondering, you know, oh, is it, are they putting oh, in the entertainment? Does that mean you care? Could you care about mm. one of these characters? No. <laughs> I guess, I'm not nervous. I'm like... I'm sorry. Just, I didn't mean to taunt you. Yeah. I taunted you. You're having an honest reaction. And I did mean that sincerely. Like, does that sh- indicate... Like, you know what I mean? Like some... But it keeps not paying off then. Because yeah. people don't keep watching the entertainment. So... Um, I guess I feel like the entertainment doesn't sneak up on us. There's always mm. a lot of hoopla if okay. the entertainment happens so like don't think that it's gonna like pop out of okay <laughs> pemulus is uh getting something out of a drop ceiling lyle is hovering just above the towel dispenser let's just throw that extra what do you call it magical realism yeah yeah magical realism he's evidently actually floating uh coach stit and mario are driving down a street in a Going very fast. Going very fast in a motorcycle with sidecar. Avril Incandenza is dialing a phone number. Ooh. No. Don't. 
Okay, I took that to be she's looking into Steeply. Mm, okay. Because it's a journalistic business address. Okay. She wants to see who's sniffing around. Yeah, but I mean the entirety of what we get in that paragraph is she is beginning to dial. Come on, Fuzzy. All right. Um, And then, okay, so then we cut back to Hal in the viewing room uh, joined by a bunch of female tennis teens watching Blood Sister colon One Tough Nun. And you have some post-it notes here. Oh. So they're watching um. one of, this is this is one of James Incondenza's <laughs> movies right. that was made to make fun of commercially successful movies, but in fact aped commercially successful movies so well that it became a commercially successful movie. And it's like I an exploitation wrote, movie. Is that a thing? Is that a thing the the, the movie that imitates? I, and I was thinking, so that's I I, can, I will throw something out at you is several of the movies of Jim Jarmusch. Um, Ghost Dog I think did reasonably well at the box office, and it was a Jim Jarmusch making a action movie in a very Jim Jarmusch way, but it's still also an action movie. So that was a real thing. But and he just made that zombie movie. But they're talking about that he was actually making fun of it. Yes. Jim Jarmusch isn't making fun of the genre. He's just interpreting it. And this is making fun of the drama or of the genre. Mm-hmm. Do you know, is, is that how you're reading it? Yeah, I, I guess that he's, but it's, I guess it's a little unclear as to whether, I mean, since we don't 100%, you know, we can't. We get actually a pretty good description of most of the plot of the movie, um, including the very complicated ending. But but it's a little unclear as to whether, you know, how much it's yeah, making fun of it or just trying to make a point by doing one of these movies in a very complicated way. Yeah. And then the other thing about that movie was, didn't they say somewhere in here that um, this was a metaphor for his relationship with AA? Yes. That says that in an end note. And I also, I guess, I, I this this is a, an interesting reversal where I buy something in the book that you don't. Is I also buy that where an artists often have motivations. The end note tells us that, but nothing in like Hal's viewing of it or the other teens' viewing of it indicates that. And I think I've seen a lot where artists very definitely have something that they are trying to. They have a very definite metaphor in mind, but they implement it in a particular way. And then the audience experiences that particular implementation and may never know if it's not written out in an artist statement somewhere or something, what the metaphor was, what the what the experience was that inspired the entire enterprise. Okay. And I think especially in something it's something <laughs> visual thinking, visual and, and collaborative like a movie, right? The director comes in So you're saying there could be a scene in very well thought out reflective scene but if the writer director whoever doesn't articulate it no one's going to know right okay well and especially if it's some sort of underlying motivation about in this case like it's about it's about alcoholics anonymous and it's about his we have learned somewhere in this section that James Incandenza, in a similar fashion to Gately, had a bunch of problems. But though Gately's sticking with AA, that Incandenza had problems with AA's reliance on a, a higher power and and sort of the daily rituals of AA, and and he thought those were um, were not useful, and that and he left AA. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so that that has inspired this this story of a religious organization and the various people who ha- are or are not invested in the religious organization. So it's so nowhere in the movie is anyone. No one wears a sign that says "I represent AA." Nobody is in AA in the movie. It's the the AA has been mapped to the. Are you explaining this to me? I'm not trying to. Oh, I'm confused. I'm what like what what was the beginning of this? Was you asking? We have to rewind the tape. <laughs> rewind the tape. <laughs> I asked. If an artist could say something and the audience could not get it. Yeah. And I'm saying yes in a very long way. Okay. I didn't want to lose the point. That's why I interrupted you. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to make it uncomfortable. Um, Okay. Blood sister. One tough nun. We're talking about how the meaning can get lost along the way. Mm -hmm. And these kids probably are just watching it and being like, what a weird action movie. Yeah. But then the one girl also has some insight. Mm Mm-hmm. We give her that. One smart girl. One smart girl. I feel like I had another. Oh, yeah. Where are we in the the rundown? I have one note from this section is that Idris comes in and he has his blindfold around his neck. So he could have taken the blindfold off whenever he wanted to. That's all. I wrote that down in exclamation points. Did that that bother you? Did you think he couldn't? (laughs) Because there was that whole long thing where he wouldn't. And even though he had to go to the bathroom. But he was just dedicated to his task. Oh, but not dedicated enough to keep it on to watch a movie. All right. So then, okay. So this part, this next one made me mad. Um, What page? 707. Oh, yeah. Joelle Van Dyne at Ennett House. uh, And she's at some other, she's at a meeting and hearing somebody else's speech. Are you going to, is it on the top of page 708? Well, it starts on the top of page 708, and it continues throughout the section. Mm-hmm. And then there's an end note that tries to wave it away, and I would do not want it to be waved away. You're talking about... I'm talking about the use of the word colored yep. to talk about African-American people. And and this is, this, is an, this is a section where it is very... What we were just talking about, about the third-person narration over the shoulder. This is very definitely... I mean, if this... This is Joel's point of view, but but uh, we're in third person, and like this the sentence on the top of seven oh eight. His story's full of colored idioms and those annoying little colored hand motions and gestures, but to Joel, it doesn't seem like she cares that much anymore. And yeah, th- this it's ho- like barf. So you didn't think that the end note saying like this is purely character development, right? There's an end note that says like. She was raised in a part of the country that is very racist. Right. That's the end. The end note addresses it as part of the story. Yeah, and addresses it as I mean, you know, says oh, kind of she tries to wave it back of like, hey, by the way, if you've gotten this far and and you think this whole section is really racist, that's Joelle. She's really racist. It's not me. And it says it's Joelle, but she's not even she's not as bad as Kaylee. That's what it says. Yeah, that's what it says. So, and, like, you didn't think that that was enough of an indicator to be like, this ca- This is something you should know about this character? It Like, what's your beef with it? My beef is it, you know what, it's it's in the category of if you're going to do something, do it well. It, does, it feels real clunky 
the racism here feels real clunky. And so it really feels, it feels like you're reading David Foster Wallace's racism. And then when he calls it out of like, oh, no, no, wait, I know this is racist, but it's not me. It's, it's this character. It's Joelle. She's the one who's racist. You're like, well, then write better racism. I don't know. It just, the whole so thing rubbed me. You think that when all these other racist things happen, it's a blindness on the writer's part to include them? I mean, this section makes clear that he knows he's including stuff on purpose. So maybe that's a retroactive on some of the other ones. But it's still... there. I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. There was one time he used the N-word and where I was like, you just wanted to write the N-word. Like, it really felt like yeah. he won it. I don't know. This is reading a lot into a tiny sentence in a book, but it really just felt like you wanted a character to say that. You made a character say that so that you could write it down, so that you could put that in a character's mouth, and but distance yourself from it by having it be the character. Hmm. It just felt that other one the felt really out of place, felt really shoved in of like, in a, in a way to be like, look, look what I wrote. But it wasn't me. It was a character. But you're right. This does feel super clunky and outdated in a way. Yeah. Like your great aunt would say something like that. And you're like, what? Yeah. And this is set in the future. She's a young woman in the future. Have new, ra- say- have new racism. <laughs> like have future racism. Like don't give us but, 1950s okay, racism. Okay, what if it's just um, to show how old fashioned she is? That Joelle is part of the old South. She doesn't know any better. Just how she was raised. Sheltered Southern girl. Well, Hmm? then I'm offended on the part of people in the South. Because, (laughs) yeah, uh, I just didn't like it. I really didn't like it. Did you, do you have any notes in this section? What is EndNote? Maybe this is the EndNote about racism. EndNote 293. Yeah, okay. And then I thought that there was an end note in the beginning that I... This section does have a word that nobody knows what it means. Catexic. I looked it up. All the wikis that I could find said, yeah, this isn't a word, but maybe it's a sideways word for this other word. Maybe it means depraved. That wasn't describing some sort of drug-related thing? No, it was describing people sitting in the back row of an AA meeting. Oh. Sorry, I interrupted you looking for another footnote, end note. No, I'm not trusting my memory. I thought... There's an end note about Cocaine Anonymous. No, I thought there was something about Pamela's mom. Oh, I didn't see anything about that, but I don't know. And it was like, what was his mom? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Uh, then we go back to Blood Sister, and we get the ending of Blood Sister, which is very complicated about who is or isn't re- actually... An undercover drug addict? An undercover drug addict. I think we covered that movie pretty well. Uh, And then 714, we come back. We come back in the middle of the action as just after poor Tony Krause has stolen uh, both purses from Ruth and uh, from Kate Gompert. And Kate is uh, probably concussed. She got her head hit, and we sort of get the we get a replay of how the the purse snatching actually went, and she's talking to someone who is saying they're a witness, but maybe it's just a person asking for a handout. Yeah, I gave this I gave this little section. I was like, good, good, confu- good writing. 
about a confused little moment of action. <laughs> so good job, yeah. DFW. It was very descriptive. Yeah. Kind in of, a in a economical way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like two pages. We we get a really vivid sketch of the guy on the street. We we know what happened. We get Kate's confused state. Yeah. Good good two pages. <laughs> Tear those two pages out and stick them <laughs> up on the wall. And then we go back to Lentz, who has been kicked out of the out of Ennett House and he is on a bunch of drugs and he is follow and has not slept for four days and is following two women. That's all I got about that. You don't want you're just numb to the racism now. There's some racism here too. Yeah, again, you know, we can he we can hand wave that it's from the character's point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Sure can. I guess I should come up with more ways to say that. Just just some good old racism. We have a single paragraph about how the wheelchair assassins are looking for a copy of the entertainment which is i don't know i don't know just these like single paragraphs just on the one hand it i'm sure there's a, a huge structural question here of like you know how much they're how much they're breadcrumbs keeping reminding us of everything that's going on versus how much they are distractions reminding us everything that's going on did you find them helpful to sort of keep checking in on these little bits and pieces all over the place not helpful, but okay. more fun to read. Okay. Erica Erica had a factoid that I, I forgot to mention until now. She had been looking at some pages about this book and uh, some white pages and found like a some sort of article that was like 12 things you might not know about Infinite Jest. The original draft of this was 600 pages longer. And he edited out 600 pages. What? So we could have been rated. I mean, what what gems have been lost to the ages because he took out six hundred pages? Did he take it out, or did an editor take it out? He took it out. Hmm. Evidently, he part of his editing process was to um, just lay out whole sections of the book, like all over his living room, while watching a VHS copy of the movie Beethoven on repeat. Beethoven, Beethoven, not about the composer, the dog. Beethoven. <laughs> that was in this. That was in this thing that Erica found. <laughs> surprised there. Verify these facts. I'm surprised there aren't more giant dogs in in the text. <laughs> well, there are some. Hmm. Um, briefly. Uh, huh. hmm. All right. So we come back to poor Tony Kraus. So now, from his point of view, running away, and Ruth is hard on his heels. And she is chasing him. I did write down a good word here. Um, a man in a car coat made a smell face and did a kind of artful Veronica to let the two of them career career past. And do, do, did you look at what a Veronica is? No. Veronica is a bullfighting move. When you move, take, move the... Uh, uh, there's a kind of bullfighting thing that's not the full cape we think of, but like mm -hmm. a cape on a stick. Mm -hmm. um, when you move the cape on the stick over the f head of the bull, that is a Veronica. Oh, oh. yeah, that is good to know. So I was like, "That's a oh, I learned a word." You know what I thought it was? What? <laughs> I thought it was a typo. <laughs> I thought it was um, from the Archie comic. Oh, which isn't entirely 
far off that a comic book character would have a move. Yeah. In defense of my... No, yeah. <laughs> That's why I wanted to look it up, see what it was. Okay. So he is... Also some little sprinkle racism. Oh, is there some sprinkled racism in here? But, you know. Oh, good. He's racing towards the back door of the... Uh, the Anna, and I'm going to say it wrong, Anatoni shop. Anatoni. Anatoni, where the, uh, it's a me, Anatoni, um, where we know the wheelchair assassins have recently killed the two brothers and yeah. are lying in wait. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Poor Tony Krause. What's going to happen to poor Tony Krause? And then in case we had forgotten that the wheelchair assassins are in the Anatoni shop store. We come back to the wheelchair assassins in the Anatoni store. Did and you see the entertainment coming? Well, yeah, because we had, I think we saw that coming when the, when we, when we first discovered their store, we were given an extended sequence about somebody coming in and selling them some cartridges. Okay, I'm saying anytime the oh. entertainment shows up, fingers are a flutter. Right. Well, and then he, they explicitly say they start watching cartridges. I'm asking, I guess I'm asking you, did this sneak up on you? Not this time. Okay. So it didn't sneak. So you're so you're correct. It didn't sneak up on me. They made it pretty clear. We're going to sit some guys in a room and they're going to watch cartridges. And they watched a bunch of cartridges and it got real boring. And then surprise, they got surprised by a cartridge. Yep. Yep. Are we supposed to know where the cartridges came from? Well, this lays it starts to lay it out pretty. They they I had I did actually look up a name. Duplass. Yeah, that the this that they're looking for cartridges that came from a robbery of the Duplass, which is or from Duplass is a thief. Anyway, it's anyway it's the guy that Gately killed. So evidently, the guy that Gately accidentally killed. So they think he was. Well, no, they knew that he had some cartridges in his possession. Some and a copy, copy or copies of the entertainment. Okay. And then, so they're looking for where the where pond, are. where the what's, what's the word? Fenced, the fenced cartridges ended up because they were stolen by Gately and his crew. Okay. So they've been checking out like pawn shops and stuff, and have ended up here at the Anatoni Anatoni shop, and they discover one. And then maybe I've jumped ahead. This is one of these where because things interleave, I've sort of jumped ahead, but because Joelle is worried about her teeth and has a dream about Gately as a dentist. dentist. Did that thrill you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we supposed to like read into that? I don't uh, yeah. I mean, I guess teeth or vulnerability, right? Teeth yeah. falling out dreams are stressful. So person that you're interested in seeing your teeth yeah and about showing her face which we still don't know the actual state of her face is it is it beautiful or disfigured or, or what's the deal um so then we come back to the wheelchair assassins actually finding the cartridge it's a read-only cartridge it's not the master everybody's looking for a master so they can make more so they can um destroy so they can destroy america. destroy america so they can separate from Canada. 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 Yep. Canada. Canada. Is that? 
I'm trying to summer. Like, is that what they're trying to do? Yeah, there's like, a. They want Quebec to secede. Yes, their ultimate goal is for Quebec to secede from Canada. Right. And so they to the, as the start of that, they want Canada and the United States to disentangle, as well. I guess, or and or destroy everything. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. We're still going to be force fed tennis games <laughs> yeah until this book is over <laughs> yeah i feel like whatever happens we're gonna learn a lot about the politics of it when it starts to happen yeah and that's the end of our section that's Ooh. the end of our little half week section this is where we should be half week yes <laughs> but this is where we are you know what this life happens life is happening yeah so it was pretty zippy yeah. Like you said, I, I read it in one sitting as well. Yeah, I had no uh, no reason for imaginative products. No. Oh. No inspiration this week. Mm. Too busy being entertained. <laughs> I roll. Uh, so are we going to, next week, are we going to try to read two half-week sections? Somewhere in here we're going to either have to read... Yeah, we're going to have to catch up. We're either going to have to catch up or have a week and a half worth. Or should we just save the half week for if we have another... Should we strive to read a full week's worth and just save that half week for another set of life happening? But then we would be off of our neat schedule. Yeah. So then it would be even more complicated to keep track, don't you think? Well... It's easy enough to just do two half weeks. As long as you can keep track of what we're supposed to be reading. Because I couldn't even do it when we were on time. Okay. Let's try to read to page 801 for next week. (laughs) Wait a second. 801. That's a nice big number. Is it? Oh, is that right? Are you teasing me? No. You want me to read? It's only 70 pages. It's only 70 pages. I don't want to... You can read 70 pages. Oh, and we didn't even talk about the huge gift we gave ourselves. The huge gift that you gave us this week is reading this section that we read this week, reading the endnotes. I got to an endnote that was a very long endnote. But I had already read it. But we had already read it because you made me read it. It was the endnote 305 that explains how the wheelchair assassins why they're all in wheelchairs and you so, could just breeze right past it and you could just say dunzo you, yeah. you didn't get me this time so thank you kate <laughs> you got me last time <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to speak i don't want to there's probably a couple long ones left but uh but it looks like the f- end notes are maybe getting a little shorter like on average don't. Oh. oh, I'm going to jinx this. There's going to be like a 20-pager or something in here. Oh, no. Part of my page ripped out. Oh, no. <laughs> what am I going to do? Oh, well, that was my suggestion. Just start throwing the book away. Yep. Piece by piece. Oh, remind me again. What page did we end on? We ended on page 727, but I actually read, you know, a third Up of the page. Okay. Yeah, to a nice page break. Nice section break. Ooh, look, we start off with a nice racist word right in our next section. Oh, goody. Yay. Oh, there it is. 
Well, that was great. We uh, we were we read a half week worth, and I think we talked about the same amount. So <laughs> there's some sort of uh, like we'd better be careful. Like if but we just read a, a paragraph good, a and talk good... for 40 minutes about one paragraph. Well, you, I I bet you could, but there was enough to talk about. Usually we're like giant section on tennis, bloop. You know, like, mm. let's move on to the next giant section on, you know. Yeah, I guess the the better the book is, the more, the more there is for us to talk about. The podcast would be really slim if, you know, which would be, you know, just really easy peasy if there were big chunks of, big chunks of just terrible writing in the next 70 pages. That's, oh, so that's your wish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I just worry about our listeners. I want to make sure they're getting value for money. <laughs> check You're out worrying our worrying about our listeners. Are check ya? out our Patreon, which does not exist. <laughs> uh, buy these mattresses. Yeah, see you guys next week on page eight hundred one, probably. Thanks to Noogenics for the theme music. Thanks to Dave Stinton for the name, and thanks to the Chicago Teachers Union for going back to work. Thank you.